now. All right. Well, Joseph Farrell, welcome to Radiant Creators. Uh, you've been on before, so this mm -hmm. uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph Farrell's return uh, visitor, uh, return guest. And while you're listening, definitely check out GizaDeathStar.com. That's where you'll find all things Joseph Farrell related. And um, just recently was on uh, Dark Journalist and did an amazing uh, uh, two hours on. I only heard the first hour. I, I'm, I'm not a member, so I didn't hear the second. Same here. <laughs> oh, okay, really? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard the second hour yet. Yeah, a, an amazing deep dive on a 250 year old balloon technology that China's using <laughs> to devastate our 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 weak NORAD. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> only, uh, only from the swamp, Craig. <laughs> only from the swamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, they came up with the magic bullets, so nothing should surprise us. <laughs> mm. It's absolutely true. Yeah, magic bullet. Anyone who's ever tried to, if you're a bit of a redneck like myself, and you, you know, grew up in the <laughs> around guns, everyone's tried to shoot a frozen bullet. It, it doesn't. It, <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> You know, uh, it doesn't work, you know? Uh, uh, yeah. It, you know, and then of course, uh, there is no bullet that is, uh, uh, uh that is jacketed. That's going to actually literally atomize when it hits something. So all those crazy stories. Yeah. And that comes to a really great place to, uh, something I want to ask you because you've definitely gone deep and, and often, often, oftentimes also talking to dark journalists about this. You guys have both gone deep on, of course, JFK, the assassination. So mm -hmm. something you're very, you know, versed in. And might that be where we went off off track? Like in a way, is that that first diversion that led us to, well, well many, you know, where we are today in this proxy war in Ukraine? That's that's an excellent question. And and let me put all my cards on the table. Yes. I am an anti-federalist. Mm-hmm. Had I been alive during the Philadelphia Constitutional Convention of 1787, I would have been shouting treason from the rooftops because, and, and we need to go back and remember that the anti-federalists, Elbridge Jerry, uh, Patrick Henry, people like this, were doing just that because they sensed in the current Constitution a document that was do, that was deliberately designed to do nothing but empower the oligarchical and financial class. And here we are. And here, here we, we are. are. Yeah. Um, but that said, I think there are other bellwethers along the way. For sure. And I think three of them are the following. Abraham Lincoln and the way he funded the Civil War and used military power in, in effect to accomplish political ends. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to defend the Confederacy here, but there needs to be a very close look at, at the record of Abraham Lincoln, at his personal beliefs and what he did during the war. And what he did during the war was basically rule by decree. Um. The next bellwether was Woodrow Wilson, uh, a th thoroughly despicable man, 
uh, who gave us the IRS, the income tax, and the Federal Reserve, and World War One. <laughs> you know, a, a totally unnecessary war for America to fight. The next bellwether was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, of mm. course, a, a man about whom I have little good to say. And then the final bellwether, in my opinion, was, yes, the, the Kennedy assassination. Um, the way I view it, Craig, the, the arch of American history from the JFK assassination till now is one arch. In other words, the way I look at it, the Kennedy assassination was a coup d'etat. And as a result of that coup d'etat, they put into power the same people we're dealing with today. And and I'll be also very blunt and lay my cards on the table and tell you that I think that group of people is absolutely nuts. <laughs> so so there we are. Yeah, it feels like they're back. Wow. Yeah, they, they never went away. That's the yeah. problem. You know, they never went away. And. Every now and then we get a little, uh, you know, they peel the veil behind mm -hmm. the curtain back a little uh, far enough for us to see what's going on. They did that, of course, with, with G.H.W. Bush when they elected him. Uh, and then they started to draw the curtain back again, <laughs> you know, with, with Clinton and, and Bush the stupid and, and Obama. But it's the same group of people. Yeah, Bush the stupid. I, I loved. I love your uh, <laughs> your nomenclature from for him. <laughs> yeah, and when the yeah these bellwethers, they they kind of create a traject a trajectory, kind of like a frozen bullet. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. a frozen. It's a frozen bullet. It's a one way track to empire, and here we are. You know uh, that that's there's really no more that can be said, and the problem we're dealing with is an entrenched bureaucracy, a deep state that's been following insane policies for so long. They don't know any other way. No, they don't. And, uh, and let's see, there's so many things to talk about in this topic, but I'll just go through a list of things that I've you know noted. Um, it does appear, of course, recently, since we're going to kind of focus on the uh, conflict, the proxy, I call it the proxy war in Ukraine. I think mm -hmm. that, I think that mm -hmm. works, um, mm -hmm. is uh, we did have now, uh, and I remember the, the meeting, I do believe that actually uh, Olaf Schultz was there. I think that uh, uh, President uh, Biden was in, where was it? I think it was, it might not have been Germany, but I forget. They were both in the same spot and uh he actually said to a reporter, you know, well, Nord Stream 2 won't happen, you know. Right. And, and now you start looking back at that, realizing, wow, they had a meeting. There you are, Olaf Schultz, you know. Mm -hmm. And I start thinking, why was Biden there in the first place? Why were they meeting? And it, it makes you wonder, was he telling what was Biden telling him what they were going to do? Did he just happen to know that meeting now gets a lot more interesting to me? And I can only imagine being Olaf Schultz and you're standing there and, you know, here's Biden saying that we're going to blow up your pipeline. That had to be what a moment. Well, we need to understand that there has long been a hostility between the 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 deep state elites of of what zero hedge and other outlets sometimes call the anglosphere and germany 
And this has been going on ever since Germany was unified back in 1871 at the end of the Franco-Prussian War. Um, because what changed dramatically overnight, literally, was whereas before that war, Prussia and a lot of other German states occupied what's now Germany, there was no great power other than Prussia in that region. With the unification of Germany, you immediately created Europe's major great power. I mean, the geopolitical situation changed overnight. Mm -hmm. And what we also have to remember about the German state, the the from from the Kaiserreich up until today, is that you're dealing with a nation which has intentionally, as a part and a consistent part of its domestic policy, has always buttressed its heavy industry. They have not allowed their heavy tool and die industry to go overseas in the name mm -hmm. of agreements like NAFTA or GATT or you know, all the crazy deals we've done with China. Germany still has a, a very large homegrown subsidized manufacturing base. Prior to World War I, that manufacturing base, and it's still there, folks, that manufacturing base meant that a country in the center of Europe about the same size of the state of Texas back then had a steel manufacturing capacity in excess of Great Britain and mm. second only to the United States. It had a tremendous scientific infrastructure, again, funded by the state, that allowed, literally allowed German chemists during World War I to bypass the British blockade, invent a process to make nitrogen, which was needed for explosives, out of the atmosphere, and that's what they did. In World War II, those same chemists invented the Fischer-Tropsch process, which is basically making synthetic oil and lubricants and gasoline from coal. And by the way, folks, if you study that that process, if you study the chemistry, there are no hydrocarbons involved. In other mm. words, Germany is telling you right there by its ability to wage World War II with synthetic fuel, Germany's telling you that fossil fuels, the whole idea is a big, huge lie. That's what mm. they're telling you. Mm. But what this means is that Germany, by the same token, has had to rely on inventing bypasses around their strategic lack of natural resources. Hmm. So if you look at the way that England and the United States particularly have tried to arrange the geopolitics of Europe, what have they been trying to do? They have been trying to prevent what Bismarck himself was attempting to do and that was create a rapprochement between Germany and Russia. Why? Russia has the resources. Germany has the manufacturing and technology. What better alliance could you have? And that is exactly what the British were able to do prior to World War I. They, they again, using American money and American complicity, rearmed Germany for World War II. 
So there's been two world wars fought between Germany and Russia. And I think you can make the case, Craig, that the whole intention of those two world wars was to prevent those two countries from getting together and to use one country, namely Germany, to keep the other country, namely Russia, down. Now, let's fast forward to mm -hmm. after World War II and the German reunification after the collapse of communism. At that point, Germany is still in the same position. In fact, it's in a much worse position than it was even prior to World War II. Smaller territory, bigger manufacturing base than even Hitler had, and less resources <laughs> to, run it, <laughs> to run it all, okay? So in other words, Germany's strategic position, which has always been there, is even worse now than it was under Hitler and the Kaiser. And so Germany, and you can see this happening with under Chancellor Kohl, you can see it really taking off under Chancellor Schroeder. It continues kind of under Angela Merkel, it certainly was continuing under Schultz with, with the pipeline business. What are they afraid of? Well, they're afraid of Bismarck's old goal of Germany and Russia getting together in, in an alliance. That mm. is a, a powerful mixture that they cannot afford to, to allow to happen. Unfortunately, we have, and I'm going to be, again, very blunt and honest. I'm not going to hold back what I think of this clown. Amen. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Biden is a corrupt, criminal, demented, and the dementia is on top of his natural inborn lack of intelligence. He has not had an original deep thought of his own that he has not plagiarized from some other political leader. He is a grifter. He is beholden to communist China. So in other words, as far as I'm concerned, we've got an influence peddler, a criminal in the White House, and this man on his own authority through the manipulations of the deep state authorized, if, if Seymour Hirsch is correct, and I'm from that generation that has been following Seymour Hirsch ever since he exposed the My Lai massacre in Vietnam. So I have a great deal of respect for the man, even though he and I are probably on opposite sides yes. of, of the aisle. But I have a great deal of respect for the man because he's a real journalist of the old mold and willing to go out there and dig up the facts. When he says that Biden himself personally authorized that attack on Nord Stream, I'm inclined to believe it's probably true. Number one, because Biden is that stupid. And number two, he is that criminal that he would, on his personal authority, commit an act of war. And that's what it is, an act of war, not only against Russia, but against Germany. Now, fortunately, the Germans have allowed their military since Merkel to fall apart. So we're not dealing with the German military that Angela Merkel inherited, we're dealing with a, a much weaker German military. But in any case, it's one country in Europe you don't want to piss off. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we, we've had to learn that the bitter way through two world wars. So, yeah. you know, um, I, I look at this, Craig, as more insanity coming out of the Western elite. And it is a proxy war 
which again, the elite in their hubris picked the wrong horse if they thought that the Ukraine with 40 million population is going to defeat Russia, you know, with, with a population four times that amount and an industrial manufacturing base. You know, everybody, everybody talks about the American economy being the biggest in the world, but how much of that is actual manufacturing? Yes. The plain fact of the matter, folks, is Germany, Russia, and China, all three, have a much bigger actual hard manufacturing base than this country does. Even the cannon, the cannon in those M1A1 Abrams tanks, all 18 or whatever ridiculously small number we're sending to the Ukraine is, even that cannon, folks, is a German cannon made by Rheinmetall in Germany and produced in this country under license. We can't even make our own arms. That should tell us how bad off we are. Mm. And it's the silly, crazy policies of this elite that we have in charge of this country and that's in charge of the United Kingdom uh, that's leading us into this absolute abyss. This this is not a proxy war. If you're going to fight a proxy war with Russia, then pick somebody like a Japan or a Germany, somebody that's got some muscle. But the Ukraine? <laughs> yeah. It, it's a tough one because, I mean, it's tough to not root for your own side, but, of course, you can't view this as, as like it's a sports team. You know, no. and it, it's very hard. For, I'm not patriotic. I love my country, but you know, I, I do. I realize, do too, but I don't let love blind yes. me to the country's folly, and this is folly. It is, and that's the thing. Where if we, which I did not think that the collective West is going to win in this situation, but if they do, we lose. You know, yeah. and it, it does seem like uh, from this, from what you're saying, it's funny. It's almost like uh, now Biden in his kind of demented state. Woke up one morning and thought, like, I'm going to take over for Hitler. (laughs) He didn't get the job done, so I'm just going to fund like a new generation of Azov of Nazis, and we're going to we're going to make this happen. That's why maybe this guy shouldn't be president, and he's way too emotionally invested. It's not it's not just Biden that did this. Of course, This this began in the final years of the Obama administration. And in particular with with Victoria Newland in the State Department. And, you know, when when that coup happened in Kiev and and you started seeing all of these, quite literally, Waffen-SS logos coming out of retirement and being proudly paraded by units of the Ukrainian military, I thought, you know, this is this is nuts. This is completely mm-hmm. nuts. If you want to know, folks, why Russia's had this reaction, when when people say that the Ukrainian forces are infested with Nazis, that's true. Like it or not, that is true. And, you know, World War II was was fought and won largely by the Russians. Everything else is kind of a sideshow. The real military conflict of that entire war happens on the Eastern Front between the Wehrmacht and the Red Army. And it was a long, drawn-out, hardly-fought contest that the Russians literally had to spend rivers of, of their own treasure and blood to repel the German invasion. And it took them four years to do it on top of that. 
So if if there are reasons that you need to understand why Russia is doing this and why their reaction against the Ukraine and all of these Nazi units is there, that's why. And the other thing that we in the West are not being told, and they have absolutely deliberately kept this out of the news, are the Ukrainians themselves who are objecting to this war. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, and, and that commentary from the Ukrainians is definitely hard to find. And um, mm-hmm. I will link to things in the show notes when we're all done. I'll definitely have, you know, and one thing I definitely will put in there is uh, there are mercenaries who went yep. to uh, fight for Ukraine because they just yep. felt like, well, they, they bought the BS basically. Yep. And they and they went there meaning well, and they're young, young guys. Yep. And of course, who's going to actually take them on? Well, they get there, they go, I want to go fight. Many of them have, you know, prior military experience. Well, actually all of them did. And well, the Ukrainian military is like, no, that's all right. But Azov is like, yeah, sure. Here, you know, here's an AK-47 and a bottle of vodka. And the thing (laughs) is, is that, um, and of course they got viciously wiped out. They, the ones that of course we've I, well, I've not interviewed, but I, I've, I've listened to interviews with them. They realize that uh, this is not something that that they're going to win. But also, with their own, um, you know, testimony talking about their their experience, no Azov and right sector. The thing is, is these guys are very happy to take mercenaries. Oh, you want to fight? Bring mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, be, and they found that, uh, and of course, they they have sort of that. Uh, gallows humor they they'll they'll laugh about it now but they're like no these dudes really are nazis and one of them even said like the uh his like uh i guess you'd say our version of a squad leader like opens his laptop look at some coordinates in the back and like the uh, screen desktop was hitler yeah oh yes (laughs) i mean these guys are for real now yeah their version of what a nazi is is not necessarily exactly of course you know himmler's vision per se i'm not sure but let's just say that they see themselves if as a nazi if nothing else that it pisses off russia and they don't like russians right that's exactly what this is um you know we have to we have to go back and and remember the the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk that ended World War One on the Eastern Front when the Russians surrendered to the Central Powers. Most people in, in this country, of, of course, are so clueless as to history that they forget this crucial little bit of history. What, what the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk did, what, what Austria-Hungary and Imperial Germany forced the Bolsheviks to sign was essentially a peace treaty that allowed the Central Powers to militarily occupy the Baltic states through down through Poland. And then, if you look at the way the map will de- portray the results of the treaty, all of the current Ukraine mm. and then portions of, of the Transcaucasus that were occupied by the Ottoman Empire. So, in other words, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk signed on March 3rd, 1918, between the Central Powers and Russia, the Soviet Union. Uh, Basically, the result of that treaty was it carved out Belarusia, Poland, the Baltic states, and the Ukraine from the Russian Empire and put it under the occupation of Central Powers troops. In other words... 
for the next six months, the effect of the British blockade that had been socked on Germany at the beginning of the war was nullified. All Germany had to do was ingest that conquest, convert that Ukrainian agricultural production to their war effort, and use the Ukrainian nickel, iron, and other uh, mining resources that they had just conquered. So in other words, the British blockade is over. If the Germans can hang on, the war is at least stalemated. What the treaty also allowed the Germans to do is transfer approximately 1 million troops from the Eastern Front to the Western Front for those massive offensives that they launched later in that year, beginning on the 25th of March. In other words, they were in a hurry. So the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk is very critical here because one of the things that comes out of it is that Austria, Hungary, and Germany created a Ukrainian state, mm. the, the hetmanate of the Ukraine. So the Ukrainians in the Azov battalions are also hearkening back to that brief period of history where they became a puppet government, not of the Soviets, but of the central powers. So there's a lot of history people have to remember here that's going on. And I guarantee you that other than Victoria Newland and her ilk in the deep state, the Biden regime, I call it the Biden Joe regime, B-A-I-D-E-N-J-O, you know, to <laughs> memorialize yeah. his connection to China. But the Biden-Joe misadministration has no clue about any of this. I guarantee you. Yeah, I doubt that they do. Um, well, and one of the things that... Oh, and I, uh, sorry, I can't quote exactly when it was. It was a few weeks ago. I know mm -hmm. that uh, Putin, when he was giving a speech, he mentioned uh, Poland. And he said, uh, as, I, as I saw it translated, it went something like, uh, if like much of Western Ukraine originally belonged to Poland. So if they, if they wanted to reclaim that, it would be understandable. Right. And so he kind of made this off remark while he was giving a speech. And I thought to myself, and this is, okay, as you put it, you, you coined the term, you know, high octane speculation. But when he said that, I sort of wondered, when we look at Poland's role in this, they just seem mad at everybody to me. But could there be like back channels where, you know, Putin and, and Poland, you know, Russia and Poland have kind of made a deal where once this is done, um, if you guys want to annex part of Western Ukraine, it's good. We're not going to fight you. I know it's high octane speculation. No, no, I, I don't think it, it is high octane speculation, but I, I think there's merit to it. And I'll tell you why. Um, if you're if you're looking at what's going on now in the German Bundestag, particularly among the representatives of the Alternative for Deutschland Party, uh, they are hopping mad because again, this was an act of war on the part of the American president, not only against Germany but against the German population. Germany needs that energy. Yes. So you are you are repeating basically the post-war allied policy towards the Germans that literally was starving them to death. 
you know, this is this is an unfortunate but but uh, nonetheless true aspect of the immediate post-war period in Germany. Um, and it's also the reason why the Germans fought so long and so hard right up to the end of the war, because, you know, Roosevelt's idiot uh, Secretary of the Treasury, Morgenthau, had put out his Morgenthau plan for Germany, and the mm. Germans got a hold of it, and oh. Dr. Goebbels published it. And if you don't know what the Morgenthau plan for Germany, folks... Uh, that was basically we're going to we're going to strip the country of all of its heavy industry, which, of course, would have meant the people starve. And we're going to break the country up into three countries and plow everything under and make it an agricultural swamp. OK, mm -hmm. so, you know, if you're German, that's <laughs> that's just basically a, a statement that they mean to kill us all. So, yeah, you fought on with with Hitler and went down with the ship. Um, the reason I think what you're t saying is, is, has a great deal of possibility is Germany has now officially joined with Russia and China calling for an investigation of oh, okay. the Nord Stream pipeline. And they're wanting the UN Security Council to do this. Now, here's the problem. And I just blogged about, uh, about this and have a blog coming up later this week. So I'll spill the beans here for your audience. The problem is Germany, Russia, and China are all powers that have a great deal of intelligence capability. Hmm. In other words... The Soviet, the the Russian FSB, the Chinese intelligence, the German BND and and uh, BVK can all find out the truth fairly easily about the about the Nord Stream pipeline. And let's add to that: Seymour Hirsch recently gave an interview for the Berliner Zeitung, the Berlin Times. Oh wow! I didn't know. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Ooh, I gotta gave, see that. <laughs> yeah, that that he gave an interview for the Berlin Times. So if you're German and you're reading the Berlin newspaper, you know already that the suspicion on the part of the German government of official U.S. government involvement is there. Mm. And I have no doubt, Craig, that at this moment those intelligence services of those countries are cooperating behind the scenes to find out what mm. happened, who was, who, who did it, you know, the actual people involved in doing it. I have no doubt that the phone lines between Moscow and Berlin are burning between Schultz and Putin. I have no doubt whatsoever. And the one reason I, I suspect that is Germany's response to our request that they send tanks to the Ukraine has been, if you, if you look at their response, has been absolutely laughable. They have agreed to send a bunch of obsolescent Gephard anti-aircraft systems that are over 30 years old. <laughs> they have agreed to send, I think, what, 13 or 14 Leopard 2 tanks. Folks, that's not even a platoon. You are not going to stop Russian tank armies with 14 German tanks, good as they are. It's, it just ain't going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just laughable. 
Um, so, you know, Germany is publicly playing, it looks to me, Craig, the same game that Japan has been playing and started to play under Shinzo Abe. We're going to talk like we're allies of America and we're oh. going to do little things for show to show the Americans, yeah, we're serious. But the reality is when you look at, at what little they're doing, uh, the reality is, no, they're not going along with it. This, to me, Craig, is the sign that NATO is beginning to fracture, and I suspect it will completely fracture before the decade is out. I really do. Well, that gives me a lot of... Uh, that's actually very hopeful to hear because... I, yeah, you know, I hope so. Yeah. It, it, the alliance has outlived its usefulness. It's become its own many-headed hydra monster, just like the American empire. Uh, we don't need it. Uh, President Macron of France has already said that, you know, if the war turns nuclear, France is not going to use its nuclear deterrent against Russia. He's already said no to the swamp. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. That goes back to that uh, when Biden had said, you know, now yep. we'll, we'll take care of Nord Stream if people don't play our game. Well, right. You're asking to like the I call it like the collective West, which is mostly America, but they're asking too much. So I mean, you've got Germany yep. that they're shutting down factories that you yep. know are 100 years old. Yep. I mean, and so in a sense, the Morgenthau plan it's back. It's back. Yes, absolutely. it's back. You know. Yes, so, absolutely. So, so Germany is looking at like Morgenthau two. Yep. You know, <laughs> which isn't very pretty, and. Nope. You've got Biden literally standing next to you know your prime minister saying this is how it is you know, yep. and from what I understand, of course, there was communication between Russia and Germany. So I guess mm -hmm. you say Schultz and uh, um, uh, Putin were on the phone, and we knew that our intelligence, you know, America's intelligence, knew that that basically the German government couldn't stay solvent if they went along with our plan, right? Or, or maybe they were always sort of. Uh, not going to anyway, like one way or the other, you know, America was losing its grip. And so we blew up the pipeline. So in a sense that that does create for both Germany and Russia and ultimately like the BRIC nations and much of the EU, yep. you realize you're dealing with a crazy person. Yeah. You're dealing with somebody who's capable of anything. We're, we're nobody's yeah. ally. Yeah. And there's there's another there's another implication to what's going on here that I think predates the Ukrainian business. Hmm. And that is that I have thought ever since 9-11 that there is some sort of covert uh, American-German economic war. Because hmm. if you go back to all those puts that were placed on the market prior to 9-11, where are most of them coming from? Well, most of them are coming from Deutsche Bank, and many of those, in turn, are coming from Lufthansa. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so, you know, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, wh why is Germany here, <laughs> you know, doing all of this? And then you dig a little deeper, and you find out that when they started to cart off all the debris from the collapsed buildings in New York City, the company that was that was chosen to contract and come in and clean up the mess, and especially the computer files, was guess what? German. 
Mm. So, you know, what's going on here? You know, how does this figure into the mix? So I think we also have to look at the possibility that there has been some sort of financial or economic tug of war going on behind the scenes much longer than, than this Ukrainian fracas. But you're correct. From the standpoint of your average German, what do you think? Well, you think the USA is at it again. They're at our throats again. And, you know, how do we respond? Well, you can't respond if you're, uh, if you are militarily and economically enfeebled, you can't do it. So the other thing that I think is going to come out of this is not only the crack up of NATO, but, you know, I, I just don't see Europe voluntarily industri- de-industrializing mm-hmm. on the American model. I don't see it. I don't see the Italians do it. I don't see the French doing it, the Spanish, the Germans, and ultimately the British. I don't see them doing it. Ain't gonna happen. They Europe will will break from the United States. It will it will reindustrialize and it will remilitarize. And Germany's gonna lead the way, like and, it or not. And it, I've had this feeling that looking at so much that's you know going on and has gone on mm-hmm. um, that I wonder. So we we do have the BRICS nations, of course, mm-hmm. and I wonder if. You know who will be the first nation out of the EU? I would say not to join the BRICS, but there could be like sort of a. There's going to be, like where the where the Warsaw Pact used to be. You might say like we're we're going to have this division. Maybe mm-hmm. the Western nations won't quite want to do exactly a, a BRICS. Na- they may not want to become part of the BRICS per se, but there's almost some sort of like a, a, a Western. Bricks or, or a Western, yeah. there, there's a re, there's a a re uh, reemergence, a, a change of of, of 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 powers of world powers basically that's taking place. So, you know, Germany may not want to be part of like let's say like the like America's NATO and 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 the EU, but there's going to be something new like a there will be there will be a kind of of uh, new neutrality policy. And I'll tell you the country to watch to see how that policy is taking and has taken shape and is continuing to do so, and that's Hungary. Ooh. Uh, Victor Orban's Hungary, if you've been watching it for the last 10 years, is, is steering a very, very careful domestic and foreign policy in tandem. And he's managing to keep to keep Hungary in the EU, but not follow EU policies and dictates. And he's also just bluntly had his government tell the American ambassador to take a hike. We're not joining your war. And I suspect that this attitude is not just unique to the Hungarians. Turkey? Uh, Turkey, Italy... You know, the other country I've, I've been telling people you have to watch very closely is Italy. Because, again, you have a country that is a major economic power. It is capable of being a major military power. It has the up-to-date technological infrastructure. It has historical ties to, to North Africa through Libya. So you're dealing once again with with a country which has recently elected a government 
in defiance of everything that the EU wants. And again, the Italians, like the Hungarians, have been charting kind of their own independent course. So these are two countries to watch, and I agree with you. I think they're possibly going to become the core of this kind of neutrality of of a a participation with the BRICS, but not necessarily fully joining the Shanghai uh, Cooperation Organization. I think you're absolutely correct there. And the Shanghai, uh, uh, the name for that, yeah, the uh, Shanghai well, Gold Exchange. The, right. That 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 is a huge one for people to be aware of because that's one that oh, yes. I'm 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 still learning about. That's a big picture thing for sure. But yes. it reminds me how. Um, oh, and I wish I had the article pulled up so I could you know, quote it directly, but it exists. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, well, that there's many articles on it. But so now I do believe what's just breaking ground, and it makes sense, is a pipeline between Russia and China. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. the thing is, yeah, so so you've got Nord Stream. Okay, so America, well, well Collective West America decides, boom, you know, don't play our game. We're going to blow that up. Well, Here's the thing. I I have felt, you know, part of the idea is when we look at like the Great Reset, the fail of the petrodollar, the failure of the petrodollar possibly coming and such like that. Maybe there could be this desire to like pull, you know, Germany's industry to America. But well, sometimes, you know, as they say, like the CIA calls it like unintended consequences. Well, what if our what if recent events have that pipeline on land is a lot easier to take care of, I think probably better guard it you don't want to mess with these two powers directly by trying to blow it up you know that's not going to go so well you know and so now german industry if it must move well a better deal is china well a certain amount of german industry has already moved there but i'll tell you i'll tell you i'll tell you why germany's just not going to go for this okay uh and that's airbus (laughs) Airbus. airbus yeah uh, we we tend to forget that Airbus is a consortium of three companies. One of the major partners of which is Messerschmitt Belko Blom. Mm. So, in other words, the Germans got together with the French and the Italians and created a competitor to Boeing. That's what that's what all of that was about. They're not about to let that market be shipped to China. Ooh, Ain't gonna okay. happen. Uh, you know, they will do whatever they need to do to make sure that the actual manufacturing stays. They may open up an Airbus plant in China, but they're not going to transfer all of that capability to China. It just ain't going to happen. But I do think that if you, if you look at what is happening in, in Russia and Germany, and for that matter, the rest of the world. We, we have to be honest with ourselves. This country just shot itself in the foot in a major way with this Nord Stream pipeline business. We are only beginning to see the fallout from it. This is not a story that is going to go away in a few weeks. This story is going to determine major aspects of policy in Mm. the European nations, in Russia and in China for years to come. We're just getting started. Uh, This is going to be a a situation whose fallout is going to be with us long after Biden, Joe, and his misadministration are history, and may God hasten that day. Um, Mm. we, We are... 
we are losing hemorrhaging allies. We have managed to piss off in the last 10 to 15 years with our empire building. We've managed to piss off the Japanese, the Chinese, mm-hmm. the Russians, the Germans, the French, basically everybody except the British, and they're not far behind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. When you look at the uh, the Nord Stream event, I mean, yes. you're looking at, uh, you got Biden, you've got Victoria Newland, you've got uh, Anthony Blinken, Jake Sullivan. And one <laughs> of the things, and so you've got, you know, four people who just did, unf- I mean, of course, there's more people involved. And I, there's one guy, Robert Barnes. He's from like, I think it's Viva Barnes Law Associates. They're kind of like a constitutional law firm, firm and they're quite amazing. He has a podcast. Does, he talks about great things. Very smart guy. Um, and at least he mentioned that, you know, people uh, have come forth with more not with, with more data that in a sense it wasn't that people so much didn't. Uh, how, do you, how do you put it? People have come forth and kind of put those like dead man switches in, you might say, like, if I die, like, please release this. People have been afraid to say anything, but there's plenty of people who knew about this, who know about this, sure. who, who who didn't, who made sure that, that that information wouldn't die with them. So now that it's out, you've got a lot of people who are in the know, who are very, very willing to. And this is one of the things you've got these four people who decide to do something like this. And that is way too much power, in my opinion, for four people to have. Four people shouldn't decide we're going to have World War Three, basically, or or risk it, you know, or destroy well, the future of a country. You raise another important question. And I think it is a question that people need to be talking about openly. If you go back to the 2020 election, yes, the literally within a day or two after the election, we had Nancy Piglosi, as I like to call her, talking on television and giving interviews about creating a committee to keep charge of the nuclear football. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the scuttlebutt among the media at the time, and particularly among the Trump supporters, was, well, she's trying to usurp President Trump's control of the nuclear arsenal and turn it over to committee. I don't think that was Nancy Piglosi's goal at all. I think she was more afraid of Biden Joe and him being in charge of the nuclear football. The man is stupid to begin with, as I said before, and on top of that, you add dementia. And on top of that, you add criminal corruption, and very possibly, by this point, criminal insanity. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. But here's the problem. Do you want a man like that in charge of the nuclear football? Well, if he's willing to blow up a pipeline of an ally, namely Germany, he's willing to pretty much do anything. And say he's going to do it. And this is one of the difficult things for me is that um, how covert was it really um, when you pretty much say you're going to do it? And then I think, oh, who was it? It was um, I think it's was it Blinken or Sullivan? I forget who said that. uh, I know Ted Cruz mentioned it, that it's really great that this thing is rubble at the bottom of the ocean. And then I think it was maybe uh, uh it was uh Sullivan, was it Sullivan or or anyway said that uh it's a great opportunity right you know so in a sense if 
to say you're going to do it, then say it's a great opportunity. And then, of course, also ever since Nord Stream 1, like around 2011, I think that was implemented. Um, I think in general, America's kind of been hassling Germany. Like, you don't really want to do that. You want to buy our LNG. Like, you don't want to do business with them. So in a sense, there's been it just couldn't be more obvious the statement of intent. I mean, that's a big one in law. Like you have to, you, you have to, you have to prove yes, intent. Absolutely. And, and then when you, when you basically state, Hey, don't worry, we got it covered. And the reporter's even kind of like, what are you saying? And he's like, we'll blow it up. Don't you worry. <laughs> but, but, but I think you're missing my point. Yeah. Yes. The statement of intent and all of that's there to blow up the pipeline. Yes. Yeah. You 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 have revealed yourself through the doctrine of mens rea, President Biden. And mm -hmm. ergo, you are now legally culpable for that crime. And you know, that's that's an impeachable crime. Yeah. But my point in raising the committee idea for the nuclear football is to raise the question, does he really have control? Mm. And I would offer in all seriousness that the deep state is not about to let him have that control. And for yet another very important reason, Pelosi made those remarks so soon after the election that I question whether or not her target was really Donald Trump. Mm. I think her target is Vladimir Putin. Why? Because you want to put the Russians in a position that they don't know who's in control over here before you do anything. Unfortunately, they if that was their strategy, and I think there's a good possibility that it was, unfortunately, I think that strategy has backfired because they created a situation where the Russians concluded, no, we don't know who's in control what they actually concluded was no one's in control over there. It is breaking down and there is no real final authority anymore. We can move now. Mm. That's the kind of assessment I think is going on in Moscow right now. And that means folks that, yeah, some nutcase Biden, Joe or somebody else blink and blank and plunkin as I like to call him, or, you know, one of these nutcases would be stupid enough to, to create a nuclear false flag or to go to the use of, of tactical nuclear weapons or whatever. If, if that's their game, I guarantee you, Russia will execute decapitation strikes like they have never seen before. And when I say decapitation, they will go after Mr. Globaloney in all of his haunts and hideouts. Because the other thing that Mr. Globaloney apparently has not been listening to the Russians is the Russians have been saying through Vladimir Putin and Sergei Lavrov and Dmitry Medvedev for decades that they are not playing the Mr. Globaloney game. They're not. And they're not going to. Um. If, if the swap goes to a nuclear war option, they'd better realize that the Russians are going to be targeting people like Bill Gates, George Soros, mm. Chuck Schumer. They're going to be targeting Klaus Schwab and that whole 
viper's nest of people in all of their hideouts and haunts, as well as targeting the West's military. No two ways about it. Yeah, and in a way that would kind of explain some of Soros's recent comments. Somewhere he was doing his, he was kind of like lurching over some paperwork and and saying, yep. doing his thing. And he was saying how, uh, I know one of the countries he was targeting was India, saying that they're not a, a democracy enough and we need, you know, the people. <laughs> and you're just like, uh, anyway, so yeah, he he's his, his weird reptilian head has been uh, out mm-hmm. of the uh, swamp recently, uh, kind of giving orders to his, you know, weird, weird crew. Um, but so I think that it was, I do believe, um, uh, Blinken who said that this is a great opportunity. And uh, one of the things you mentioned, uh, well, actually, I'll fire something out there was that um, I believe it was Anthony Blinken who, what, in 2014, he wrote a book called like Allies and Enemies. Mm-hmm. which I have not read. It's kind of pricey. I'd like to actually check it out sometime. Um, mm-hmm. It's out of print, but he wrote basically about this conflict. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of strange where you've got, this guy wrote a book about pipelines, allies and enemies. And I really want to get a hold of that so I can see it because he wrote this in 2014. Well, where was he in 2014? I think that it was 2014. You had um, Ukraine happening mm-hmm. as, as far as the, uh, um, uh, the Maidan, you had the, the, the overthrow mm-hmm. basically of Yanukovych. Uh, uh, I always get his name messed up. Yankovic, um, yeah. Yankovic, yeah. And so Victoria Nuland was a Secretary of State, then Jack Sullivan, Secretary, uh, Security Advisor to VP Biden. And um, now you've got uh, Sullivan's National Security Advisor. Nuland is Undersecretary of State. So you have like, you have all these players who are involved in that. And guess what? They're back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and one of them wrote a book about exactly doing this yeah you're you're you know i i think dark journalist is absolutely correct uh and and the reason that i personally have all also viewed american history from the jfk assassination until now as one connected arc of history and that's the reason that it's all these continuity of government figures yes. that you know are moving through all of these different events like a revolving door they they appear over and over again and that's your government that is your government it's unelected it's not representative it is a a it is a criminal operation laundering money and acting in and through the institutions of government and placing figureheads into power like biden and joe that is your government and those people are, if you if you read them, um, it, it's like it's like Barbara Tuchman's uh, book about the folly of empires. I forget what the title of the book was. Um, these these people are insane. They they are stupid, insane people, and that's why the policies are not working. Uh, and they won't work so long as they're allowed to get away with it and remain in power. Yeah. And something I'm reminded of is our is America's pull out of Afghanistan <laughs> and and the way that was done, where, you know, regardless of whether we should have been there or not, we were and we left. And it seems that now I wish I I wish I had noted it down before we talked, but um, I was unsure. So I did a little bit of digging. We left an extraordinary amount of stuff there. Oh, I mean, unbelievable amounts. <laughs> yeah. I mean. 
you know, I mean, you know, more than enough night vision to keep every redneck in Texas hog hunting. I mean, are you kidding? That just, is amazing. Just <laughs> stop and think how much of that stuff could have been useful in supporting the Ukraine's war effort. Yeah. And now yeah. it's fallen into the hands of the Taliban. You know, mm-hmm. uh, who could sell it to anybody? And some of it, you know, we're talking about not selling the most recent version of the M1A1 Abrams main battle tank to the Ukraine. We're going to have to specially build some older versions of it so that the new armor doesn't fall by mistake into the hands of the Russians. That's what they're saying, mm. which I think is baloney. For the simple reason that, yeah, we lost all of that sophisticated military equipment to the Taliban, and you don't think the Russians are going to go to the local auction in Afghanistan and buy up some surplus American equipment and take it apart and find out how it works? (laughs) Come on! Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, especially when you look at the, uh, I think the way power is sort of moving is sort of changing, like... um, so we had the Afghan pullout, and I do wonder how that affected. So when I, when we pulled out of Afghanistan, we left. I wish I had the numbers because it is a remarkable amount of gear. Now a lot of it's older, and yeah. you have to support it. But still, there was still a remarkable a remarkable amount of usable stuff. And I think sure. I've even heard. I've even seen articles about you know Russia, you know possibly like, hey, we'll buy it, you know, because some of it has value. I mean, AK forty seven is an AK forty seven night vision even. A generation old is still really badass i'd like some you know and so there's a lot of great stuff you know some vehicles that could be used and of course along with that if america was there um like i was a heavy equipment mechanic in the military if we were there then we had all the parts for it mm-hmm. so i mean literally that stuff is ready for at least you know one battle you know until yeah. it breaks so uh it seems like that's when russia and saudi arabia began to get closer absolutely because- because you did have, like, after Brenton Woods and around, I'm looking at notes, so that's why I'm looking over here. Uh, it, Brenton, I think there's Brenton Woods, where we had kind of created the petrodollar. Then, like, in 1974, um, Kissinger went over to Saudi Arabia and said, we'll protect you. You know, we got your back. And it was good for them at the time, but you got to trade in USD, you know? Right. Well, the thing is, is that it seems that when we pulled out of Afghanistan and just we're out of here, I wonder if that's, of course, that's when Saudi Arabia and... Um, uh, Russia started getting closer. I do believe Saudi Arabia is in the process of becoming a brick nation. Mm-hmm. And then you look at like, I think um, 13 of the OPEC nations, that might even be all of them. A lot of them are actually on the uh, Belt and Road. So they're mm-hmm. there. We have this incredible move happening. And so there is the whole Shanghai gold exchange. And that's how you can buy the the bonds that are like, directly turned over, can be directly mm-hmm. turned over into gold. That's how Iran gets around a lot of sanctions and such mm-hmm. like this. So we have this, when I look at the uh, Petro, well, the, the yawn kind of, uh, the new bricks, one way or the other, they're probably figuring it out, but more of a commodities-based, gold-based currency that they're beginning to trade in. It kind mm-hmm. of explains an aspect of this war where it does seem that we all hear, you know, rumored as we, you know, read articles as, as we study this, that we're messing with Russia right now. But it seems like the neocon ideal, their their hope, and maybe maybe it's losing on the battlefield in Ukraine. It's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Is it really wouldn't China be next? Because that's the real economic threat to the to the to the dollar. 
Well, that's a complex question. Let it's way it. complex. Yeah, well, it is. Let me let me try and simplify it and boil it yes. down to its, yeah. its, its bare basics. The empire, the American empire, is finished. And I'll tell you why it's finished. When Nixon took us off the gold standard and mm -hmm. created the petrodollar, the backing of the petrodollar became the U.S. military. In other words, what made people accept U.S. dollars was the, America's ability to project anywhere on the globe significant military force. Since that time, America was then in the process of losing the Vietnamese War. Mm, yeah. Since that time, we haven't won one. And since that time, we have nation-built, in other words, destroyed a number of countries. And since that time, we have also now shown ourselves to be incapable of meeting our recruitment quotas. And the reason we're not able to meet our recruitment quotas is we have people like thoroughly modern Millie in charge of the American military. So in other words, people are looking at the American military and what they're seeing is a farce and a joke. Mm -hmm. We have an aircraft carrier right now. I just got this email from somebody. We have an aircraft carrier, I think it's the Gerald R. Ford, which has been building more or less since 2005. Every system seems to break down every six months. Parts don't work and so on and so forth. In other words, our manufacturing ability, we were turning out Liberty ships every, every month during World War II, and now we can't even build an aircraft carrier. We don't make all of our own tank in our own country. We have to have a German gun because the Germans never quit learning how to build artillery. You know, thank you very much. Um, all of this stuff. So in other words, if you're, if you're a foreign power like a Russia or, or a China where you have kept your manufacturing base and your ability to supply your military within the confines of your own control over the supply chain, and you look at the United States, which has not produced a new ICBM since the 1965 Minuteman missile, what are mm. you looking at? You're looking at a paper tiger. That's what you're looking at. Mm. And the world has concluded this. Why would you want to be our ally when what we export is bombs, misery, pollution? Think of Ohio. We can't even take care of Ohio, but we can send billions of dollars to the Ukraine. Yeah. Why would you want to be an ally of this country? Bad as communist China is. Why would you want to be an ally of this country? Why? It's like I've heard some commentary from uh, uh, articles from you know uh, Africa where you've got uh, definitely uh, China making inroads there. Yep. And 
yeah, it's not that I want to. I'm definitely not, you know, kissing the CCP's butt, right? No, but I'm not the, either. Yeah, but the thing is, though, the uh, when you ask the people on the ground there who are yeah. making these deals, and you say, "Well, why are you making? You know, why why are you so eager to become part of the BRICS?" And they say, "Well, because they like to make business deals where we have resources, they pay a fair price for them. Your deals are always they always involve genocide and." Yeah. <laughs> And bankruptcy and killing us all. So and making, I mean, <laughs> making us and making us take your quack scenes and you know yeah and, and exactly why would yeah. anyone why would anyone want to do business with this country? What do we produce? We produce mm-hmm. our major export is war and misery. That's our major. And I'll tell you something else about the Ukraine that people forget. Why why are we so interested in the Ukraine? Answer, Monster Santo. Oh, okay. Let's not forget that the Ukraine went heavily into GMOs at the same time that Russia said, no, we're not going there. They have oh. not been adequately tested. And then who comes along and buys up Monster Santo? Why, Bayer in Germany. So you want a rationalization for why Germany is so involved with Ukraine? Look at the GMO issue. That's lots of profits. Guess who helped broker part of that part of that deal for the Ukraine? Sitting in the White House. No right way. <laughs> 10% for the big guy. 10% Woo. for the big guy. Yeah. So in other words, why would you want to be an ally not only with a country, but with a system that is that corrupt. Say what you will about the communist Chinese. Why is Mr. Xi at the height of his power right now? Because he has made it his personal mission to clean out the corruption that you see in communist China, building these huge empty cities and building them to subpar standards and, you know, getting your little cut of the action along the way. Um, Say what you will about Mr. Xi. He's not a nice guy, clearly, but he's also someone bound you know, who's made it his determined personal issue to get rid of all that corruption in communist China, which was another import or export that we gave them. So why would you want to be part of this system? Yeah, it's like Kissinger said. Um, it's it's how's that go? Uh, it's dangerous to be uh, America's ally. No, no, it's, it's dangerous to be America's enemy. It's deadly to be America's ally. It's deadly to be America's <laughs> ally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we see a lot of this. This is very true. So, and that's why that's why mm-hmm. NATO will crack up because if you're doing that kind of mm. of cost benefit to risk analysis, you have to come to the rational conclusion it's riskier right now, given the state of this country and its wretched military and its awful finances. And it's total lack of, of being able to manufacture anything that works. Why would you be an ally? The cost-benefit analysis isn't there. And the other reason that you can't even do a, a good cost-benefit analysis anymore is that this country and its, its junior partner, the UK, keeps fudging the numbers. You know, it's like it's like all the Bureau of Official Statistics of the Soviet Union publishing all of these wonderful statistics, 
And the reality on the ground is completely contradictory. Oh, there's no inflation. The United States is doing just great. <laughs> yeah. It's like at the beginning of the uh, special military operation in right. uh, of Russia and Ukraine, uh, Biden actually said, we'll turn the, the, the ruble into rubble or like the ruble is rubble. Uh, I watched the charts. No, it took an initial dive, but no, it's it's doing just fine. And uh, yeah. ain't gonna happen, Joe. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, gonna and again, happen. and again, why? Because Russia has followed sane policies vis-a-vis its economy and manufacturing base. It has not shipped its ammunition factories to China. <laughs> Quite frankly, it still makes all of that stuff inside of russia in russian factories by russians yeah and it and so one of the things about eisenhower that always that always always got me not to like shift gears but it it flows one thing about eisenhower is he's very you know loved and and people remember him as saying beware of the industrial military complex but didn't he cut the ribbon on nato i mean so so in a sense it's sort of like it it's kind of like George Soros saying, beware of globalists, you know? No, what do you mean? Like, you're- Eisenhower, Eis- people have to remember about Dwight Eisenhower, that he doesn't give his speech until leaving office. Yes. Now, if he had, if he had really had some chutzpah, that, should, that speech should have been his first State of the Union speech. If he yeah. really was serious about, it. but no, we're going to wait and make this huge speech about policy issues, and then turn it all over to John Kennedy to take care of. Yeah, <laughs> you know, come on, and you know that's a typical Republican response. There's not two testicles in the same <laughs> sack in the whole Republican congressional delegation. And this has been their problem. They've got the right idea, but they don't do a damn thing about it. They wait for some some Democrat schmuck to come along and do their dirty work for them. And unfortunately, John yeah. Kennedy was serious about doing something about it, and he got the Kennedy haircut for his efforts. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And there you go. A- a- any youngsters who want a cool band name, Kennedy haircut. <laughs> Kennedy you, haircut. Yeah. <laughs> you, you heard it from you heard it here. You know, we send your send your royalties to Joseph. And the thing is, is uh and so he cut the ribbon on NATO. He was very involved mm-hmm. in, the, in the creation of that. And so the yep. thing is, is that that is a trajectory, that is a heading that was set way back then. There's yeah. been a lot of weight behind that. And so ultimately, if the collective West, if NATO fails in uh ukraine then it's over right that and this is a big deal that's why i think you can see why that why there's so much vitriol so so much you know propaganda it's kind of scary to me that these people do have the ability to you know start world war three because like they that the baton was passed to them and you know that legacy of Eisenhower, beware of the military complex, it might end on the battlefield in Ukraine. And I think they're going to go all out before they let that happen for many, many reasons. I hope you're wrong. I hope so too. But um, about 50% of me looks at that, that whole crew, you know, blink and blank and plunk and, and, yep. and, and all of these people 
they are they are arrogant and they are just arrogant and stupid enough to do something like that. But they, like I say, they had better think twice before they mess with Russia, because. Unlike us, Russia's not relying on Minuteman three era ICBMs or nuclear weapons. They are not. Mm-hmm. And they will execute decapitation strikes. Uh, the Russians, if you look at the way that they have have conducted themselves in this war. It's, it's very, very interesting to see what they've done. They have literally fought a war where they have decimated, they have completely attrited the Ukrainian military and attempted, and I think as much as one can say in, a, in any war, they have attempted with some success to minimize the damage to the civilian population. Yes. Now, if that's a clue as to how they might fight an all-out confrontation with the West, and I think it is, I think you're going to see the Russians targeting the military and command centers. And that means if you're Mr. Globaloni, if you're a Klaus von, a whole Klaus von, Volschwab Freiherr von Bomburst and his ilk, you know, and, and I'm comparing Klaus Schwab to that that crazy baron from the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because he, <laughs> he reminds me of that guy. Uh, Garrett Froba, the guy that played Goldfinger. Um, if if you're if you're Mr. Globaloney, if you're the Bill Gateses, George Soros's, and so on and so forth, I would be supremely worried about the Russians. If you start that war, the Russians are going to come after you, either with Spetsnaz assassination teams or hydrogen bombs, but they're going to come after you, and mm-hmm. they are going to take you out, like well, it or not. As the art of war, you know, says if you want your you know military to be victorious, have them fight with their backs to a cliff. Yeah, and and ultimately that's the thing. I understand that some people believe that you know Russia invaded Ukraine and it was and it was unprovoked, but that's that's almost just too big. I I would just say I would say like no, you don't need to get that info here if you're listening. If you don't know, that's not how it rolled. Okay, no, they they no. were dang provoked. Okay, they were provoked six ways from Sunday and back again. Um, yeah, they they were provoked, and so ultimately they were provoked. It, you know, Putin, Russia did what it had to do, and yep. ultimately their backs are to a cliff because it's going to be, uh, yeah, yeah, the Marshall Plan 2.0. I mean, it's not going to go well for them. They know they have to win because um, I can. Uh, there's a lot of uh, well, one thing I'll, I'll go from. Well, one thing is you mentioned um, they're working on you know not creating civilian casualties, and that's very very true because ultimately they do offer humanitarian escape routes, and they say right. go. And then of course right. I've heard you know those escape routes do get you know fired on by Azov, and unfortunately I won't even mention it here, but just other agencies that yep. you, you know. And so ultimately that's not so great that that happens. But the thing is, I heard this from. And it doesn't mean that everybody who 
was or is an, a Navy SEAL knows everything about, you know, artillery. They, they certainly don't. Right. But right. somebody I do know who uh, a guy named Matt Bracken, who was in the uh, SEALs uh, for a good number of years, he did uh, uh, say that. Um, the uh, Stalin organ, of course, which, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. that existed in World War II. Well, mm-hmm. Russia never really gave that up. I mean, they kind of perfected yeah. it. And so I don't know how big of a battery a full battery is, but I guess a full battery of those, however many it is, can Let's, level. L- let, let me let me simplify what you're trying to say here. Yeah. The, the people who invented the modern doctrine of artillery in yes. war were the Germans in World War I. Mm-hmm. And it was a German colonel by the name of Georg Bruckmiller that, that did it. Okay. Uh, the Germans massed such an enormous amount of artillery in 1918 for those last offensives that you could literally hear the, the bombardments in London and Paris. Wow. The, the amount of ordnance that was expended in those no longer than five-hour bombardments, boggles the mind. Nothing like, nothing like, and the Russians had to learn that doctrine from the Germans in World War I. And again, they, they suffered under it in World War II. So the Russians have, have always made artillery. You know, and let's go back to Napoleon's invasion of Russia. What's Napoleon? Well, Napoleon's an artillery general. The Russians have learned the hard way from the French and the Germans. So, no, the Russians in this Ukrainian war are capable and have expended over 60,000 rounds a day. A day. A day. And they're making more. So we keep hearing these stories that they're out of ammo. They're building it. They're making it. No, the Russians have, like I say, we're the ones that cannot supply the Ukraine, not only with enough tanks, but enough ammo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we, we even see stories of, uh, you know, trying to train the Ukrainian military to fight with less ammo. That's not good. No, that's no, silly. It, against the Russians? No, because like you say, the Russians have precision guided munitions. They have an enormous artillery park of, of both conventional and rocket artillery. Uh, they've they've got their own spatial uh, satellite geopositioning systems. You know, the Ukraine is is not going to win this war, folks. That whatever you think that uh, they're telling you on on the Western propertainment media, it's untrue. Oh yeah, they are not going to win. Yeah, and if if Russia was not concerned about you know humanitarian crisis, if it'd if be over not, by now. Yeah, it'd be over in a week. If, if they're fighting yeah. World War, if they're fighting World War II style, it'd be oh, over. Because no. because the thing about it is like the the modern Stalin organ, a full battery that I heard from. I, I'm I'm going to say it, it sounds credible to me. I've never verified it, but I believe the source is that they can basically remove. A, kilom- a square kilometer at a time yeah. from yeah. this earth like yeah. literally it's not there anymore and they can just keep moving forward and doing that so yeah. they don't but they're not they doing don't mess that. around and and those those you know the the rocket artillery batteries the, the, again the russians learned it from the germans the germans were the ones that invented those rocket batteries yeah and the russians thought oh that's a good idea let's do it too you know yeah <laughs> so so you know the those those rocket artillery batteries yes they can they can uh they can lay down uh a barrage 
and have have the barrage hit the target simultaneously. And yes, you, you're talking about a square kilometer, if not a square mile of just, you know. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. And again, this is precision guided munitions. This is munitions that, that can be used in ground contact or airburst form. And, you know, the Russians learned another trick from the Germans, and that was having everything arrive on target at the same time in both ground contact and airburst mode. So you're literally having explosions crush you. Uh, you know, this you don't want to mess with the Russians. <laughs> it's, just, it's just no way you want to do it. It's very true. Well, there's um, if you got... I don't want to keep you telling if you if if you got to go that's good. I got if you got a few more I've minutes. I've got about I, 10 I've got about 10 more minutes. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll just do a quick blast here. I'm going to uh, present real quick and we'll I'll just mention a couple things here. Let me find that screen. Where is it at? I want to go to Skype to this one right here. I'm going to share that. And then I'm going to go over here. Here we go. Um, let me Move, move. Okay, present. I think you, you might see that in front of you. Yeah, I see the Seymour okay. Hersh article, yeah. Yeah, so let's go through these. These are just real quick, just some articles that I think I'll just get your, like, one-second opinion on or something like that because I think these are great. Now, we all know about the Seymour Hersh article, so I'll just pass by that one. But here's a story we keep hearing, uh, you know, uh, new. Putin no longer has nuclear weapons, writes the German <laughs> build in a leading article, citing former Soviet C, uh, KGB spy says that um, – they lost them. I find this to be an extreme article of desperation. What do you, how do you even speak to this? But if people are going to believe this in the West, I don't know. Okay. Let, let me, put it, <laughs> let me, let me put it this way. Um, if Mr. Putin does not have any more nuclear or thermonuclear weapons, the only thing that means is that Russia has better stuff up its sleeve. <laughs> so this could be true. And if it is, if it is, <laughs> then, then you don't want it to be true. Yeah. Get, you know, get, look, look, yeah. look, we have heard for years in this country about the so-called rods of God technology, right? Yes. Okay. I suspect that that technology has already been used. Hmm. I suspect some of those Chinese chemical plant explosions oh. uh, are were done by rods of God because some of the signatures of those explosions don't look to me like chemical explosions, nor mm. do they look like any sort of tactical nuke, fuel air device, or anything else. But they do look like rods of God to me. Wow. So the other thing that we need to remember is that somebody in the American military back when Kim, you know, the fat guy in North Korea was making another threat. Some U.S. general, maybe it was thoroughly modern Millie, I don't know, but um, <laughs> some American general at, was asked by a reporter who made sure to ask the question in a very loud voice, does that include chemical weapons, when the general said, uh, we're considering all options. Well, the reporter says, does that include kinetic weapons? In other words, rods of God. Mm. And the general's equally loud response was yes wow well okay well, yeah if you don't think that russia has the ability just like we do to put rods of god up in space you've got another thing coming and let me make one final comment on this you may or may not remember the chelyabinsk meteor 
the meteor that oh, okay. uh, about 10 years ago flew over the city of Chelyabinsk and blew up. And the Russians recorded this because they have to have video cameras in their cars for insurance purposes. So, you know, there's hundreds of Russians with the videos of this meteor exploding. One month before that happened, Dmitry Medvedev was on Russian television. I saw it. And Medvedev was making a plea for people to go with Russia and build out a planetary asteroid defense system. Hmm. And the reporter asked, well, how would such a system work? And Medvedev says, well, we can blow up asteroids with, you know, we can use our nuclear rockets and so on. And then he went on to say something that really caught my ear. And he said, and we have other means of doing it. Oh, Wow. And yeah. of course, the reporter just let that one fly right by. <laughs> yeah. Woo. yeah. So, so yes, we may find that there are that there actually are rods of Putin up there. So. Yeah, rods of Putin. Yeah. <laughs> rods of Putin. And of course, this is just three hours ago. But Liz Truss calls for fighter jets to Ukraine. They keep flirting with this, but one of the things that I I don't know if we'll really do that because that would be too much of of a straight up uh, aggression, but also. During like the uh, time when we were busy invading and uh, in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and things like that, I do believe that's when Russia kind of really focused on having the best uh, air defense in the world. Oh, so yeah. fine, blast all the uh, F-22s you want towards Russia across Ukraine. It's probably a lost cause. But also, here's one too that I wanted to touch on before we go. Um, you know, uh, Putin's address to the nation recently, he said, unbelievable, but a fact we are again threatened by German leopard tanks, which have blood on their hands. And again, they're going to fight with Russia on the land of Ukraine by the hands of Hitler's followers. Mm -hmm. I mean, wow, that is quite the, uh, the leader. I mean, that's quite a statement. And I just wanted to, you know, throw that one out there because I think that it, it maybe it's a good one to, uh, to, to just, you know, to, to close on is, if there ever could be like the worst foreign policy move ever in the history of the universe, that might be it. I mean, that is, there's a, what, 30 to 50 million dead Russians all. And of course, who knows how many wounded everybody on their family, on their mantle has got a picture of somebody who's not yep. there anymore. Yep. And in a sense, there's nobody who does not carry a wound from that war living today to some extent. Yep. Um, they may have not met the person, but they know somebody. There's a picture on the family in the family, you know, pictures on the wall. Um, I think that might be one of the most arrogant, ridiculous things. And also for Barbach to say that we are at war with Russia and now we're going to send tanks with a cat's name across the Ukraine. Look, I think it's all out when that happens. I think well, that, look, boom. Look, people in this country just do not understand the gargantuan scale of operations during World War II on the Eastern Front. The Soviet Union people, and I mean this in all sincerity, the Soviet Union won that war. The Russians won that war. The military juggernaut that they were facing was much more enormous than anything we faced on any of our fronts against the Nazis. The Russians had to expend at a kill ratio of about 10 to 1 
to get rid of of that military juggernaut that they were facing. President Eisenhower, after the war, rode by train through parts of some of Eastern Europe. And he made the observation that for about every five to 20 Russian tanks burned out along the countryside that he saw, he saw maybe one or two German tanks. In other words, the the slaughter that, that Russia had to undergo to defeat what they were facing is like you say, every family in Russia has somebody that either lost a leg or lost their life or something happened during that war. The Russians remember, and they're not going to allow it to happen to their country again. That's just the bottom line. This is an existential matter for them, particularly so since mm-hmm. the collapse of the Soviet Union, when they're able to get back openly to some of their Russian traditions that were repressed by the Soviet state. So you, you, you don't realize what you're dealing with here. The Russians are not going to roll over and play dead. And by the same token, the Germans do not want another war with Russia. You know, they're one and one with that country. Both countries have suffered at each other's hands twice in the last century, and neither one wants yet another round of it. And the Germans, by, you know, oh, we're sending you 21 Leopard 2 tanks. Well, 21 Leopard tanks, uh, that's, that's at best a platoon. It's not even a company. It's not certainly not a battalion. And it's nowhere close to a Russian armored brigade or division in terms of, of numbers that are going to make any difference whatsoever. In other words, the numbers that they're telling you in the media, 21 Leopards, 14 M1 Abrams, whatever, the numbers that they're telling you in the media are so woefully inadequate to deal militarily with a disastrous situation. This is window dressing and theater, and what it really is telling me is that these, and I'm going to use a very bad word here, but that mm-hmm. these bastards in Swampington, D.C. are using the Ukraine to launder money back to themselves. Proven. Yeah. yeah. The amount of military aid the Ukraine is getting is laughable, people. That's just the bottom line. The amount of, of money that's that they're getting is not enough to sustain a war, but it is enough to launder quite a few pockets of politicians. That's the bottom line here. The West will not win this. Yeah, uh, especially when you look at uh, the statement was from, it was recent. Oh, gosh, mm-hmm. who who said this? If I can find it, uh, it was very, very recent. Um, yeah, Estonian prime minister, uh, she uh, Kaya <laughs> Kalis, she wants to rewire Russian brains. And she actually... <laughs> Yeah, and she said that we need to. Um, 
Yeah. Estonian prime minister, uh, Kaya Kalas. Those uh, defective Russian brains. I got to tell yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. She says she suggested that the entire population of Russia should be re-educated to root out any traces of imperialistic dreams, claiming that, claiming that otherwise. With or without President Putin at the helm, history will, will repeat itself and Europe will never be safe. And this lady, I mean, she just said this and you're thinking, like, <laughs> projection, anyone? I mean, <laughs> and so, yeah. Uh, well, while she's, while she's at it, rewiring and re-educating all those defective Russian brains, yeah. maybe yeah. she should stop and do some of the same for her own population, which provided lots of units for the Often SS and the Nazis during World War II. Just the thought. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, maybe. Like, yeah. I, I wonder if I studied her family history. <laughs> we might find out. They're look, back. <laughs> look, look, look. This is yet another. I mean, these, these, these problems and mutual grievances are so much a part of European history. We all know it. We don't need to learn it again. It's yet another reason that we shouldn't be involved in anything to do with Europe whatsoever. Let them sort it out. Thank you, Woodrow Wilson. We don't need to be at war with the Kaiser. He's left us alone. So, jeez. <laughs> Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you. Yeah. And when you realize how the Russians do have their back against the cliff, because it does seem that like the uh if they don't win, they're looking at balkanization, tribunals, reparations, rewriting history, and maybe yep. even maybe even demolishing the Orthodox Russian Church. You know, oh th that look. Yes. <laughs> you just said you just said it right there. The real reason that the West hates Russia is a thousand years old mm. because being, being Eastern Orthodox myself, I can tell you that there is something about Orthodoxy that sends people in the West absolutely nuts. They've been trying to get rid of us for a thousand years by hook, trick, crook, crusade, or what have you. And the reason why, quite frankly, is we are a Catholic church without the papacy mm -hmm. and all of its claims. That's what they want to get rid of. Once they, once they can get rid of us, they can have their field day because they've gotten rid of their biggest religious competitor. It ain't going to happen. The Russian, That's one reason Russia is also involved in this as an existential matter because with the collapse of the Soviet Union that that part of the Russian identity is back big time and and they can't handle it the west doesn't like it they had to get rid of pope benedict for crying out loud you know so they the other part of this story is is the church part that's too complicated to get into oh, yeah. here but uh that's the other part of this story that's definitely part of it too. So we realize that they, you know, it is truly an existential threat to them. Yep. It's just yep. kind of games. It's just kind of empire games for everybody else. But for them, their backs against the cliff, cliff, yep. cliff. Yep. Well, definitely, you know, I will be selling uh, "Make Bismarck Great Again" bumper stickers. So if anybody, <laughs> if anybody wants one, <laughs> I'll, I'll drop my hat to that. Yeah, <laughs> bring yeah. back Bismarck. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, really. Bring back Bismarck. <laughs> so great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Joseph Farrell. It's been amazing. GizaDeathStar.com is where you find out everything about Joseph. And um, oh, it's yeah. been great. Okay, okay. bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. Hello. <laughs>